Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. As I'm crying behind sunglasses, all of a sudden this guy slams his hand on our table. Not, not my partner. The guy at the table next to us slams his hand on the table, scares the crap out of me. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I have, I have to talk to you. And we're both just like, super startled because we're at this really nice restaurant. It's LA. People do not talk to each other. And we are clearly having a really serious conversation. And this guy slams his hand on the table and he says, you can't give up. You can't give up. You have to keep going. You have to adopt this baby. Hi, I'm Rachel. And in this show, we talk about everything, life and work, health and healing, relationships with others and with ourselves. These are stories for the seekers. These are conversations for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, it's Rach. Welcome to another episode of the Rachel Hollis Podcast or RHP, as we like to call it around these parts. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about adoption. Adoption. My youngest child, my daughter, is adopted, and I have written about that a ton in my books, and I have talked about it a lot over the years, but I realize talking about the adoption process and how we went through that as a family is something I haven't done in a really long time. And there are so many new members of this community. I've gotten a lot of questions about it lately, specifically from members of our community who are really struggling inside of an infertility journey and have asked if I would talk about how I made the decision, why I made the decision, what the process looked like as they explore their options on the road to parenthood. So maybe some of you have already heard this story, but for those of you who are new, I thought perhaps it would be helpful. Yeah. And I'm just going to kind of go 
from the beginning and tell you all the things I can think about that I might have wondered when I was first considering adopting. And hopefully I'll answer a lot of your questions or maybe expand your ideas about what is possible. That is the intention for today's episode. And I really hope that you find it helpful. I would also super appreciate if there is something in this that you think would help a friend of yours or your sister or someone you know is considering adopting or doing foster care or anything within that realm that you would share this episode or maybe you're inside of a group of people who are in the adoption process maybe you would share this episode so that it would help them along their journey my desire to adopt started probably 12 years ago. My daughter is going to be seven next month, but I started to think about adoption 12 years ago. And I think that I must have been seeing it in the world. Like I had friends who had adopted or I I began to see it in the world. And to be totally honest, I was married at the time and we had two little boys and within my ex-husband's family, there were a lot of boy babies. And I just knew in my gut that we were going to just keep having boys. I just, I knew that was like, we were just going to make boy babies and boys are amazing and I love my boys, but I really wanted a daughter. I felt really called to have a daughter and I started to think about what that would look like inside of adoption. I had some friends who had done like sperm spinning. I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but that's always what I knew it as, where you could essentially select the gender of the baby. But I just felt like, I don't know, I just, I felt called to bring a daughter into our family through adoption. And I guess that's the first thing I would tell you is that Literally every family I know who has gone through the adoption process, it was the mother who was first interested in adoption. And it was definitely the case with our family. My ex-husband, I think like a lot of guys who maybe aren't as familiar with adoption, was pretty freaked out at first. I mean, eventually like was super in the process and is very instrumental in why my daughter is part of our family. I'll tell you that part of the story in a minute. But I would love for you guys just to hear that, that literally every couple I know who considers adoption, it is the woman who starts it and then kind of gets her partner on board. But I also have friends who have adopted who are single. I have friends who have adopted who are same-sex couples, who are both men. So there was like no woman in that equation. But Yeah, that's just my experience in the process is that usually one partner leads out. And I guess maybe just because most of my friends are women, that's the version I've heard. When I first started to think about it, I began to follow a lot of people on social media who had adopted. And I think that that is a fantastic way when we're considering doing anything in life that you just kind of begin to do research by seeing real people who have lived that experience or real people who are on that journey because there are so many roads to adoption. It's wild how many paths you can take. And it just so happens in my adoption journey, I took every path (laughs) until I found the one 
that led to my daughter. So I started following people who had adopted and one woman that I was following on, I mean, this was like Facebook time. So I was on Facebook. I started following this woman and to be totally honest, I don't even know why I knew her, but I knew her well enough to reach out and ask if she would have a call with me. And very kindly, she agreed to have a call. And I just asked her a thousand questions, which was so helpful. And I really would recommend. I think now there's so much more information online. There are websites, there are blogs, there's YouTube, like there's so much you can find. But back then, old school, you actually had to pick up the phone and talk to someone and, you know, find out about the journey. So I talked to her and her family had adopted a daughter from Ethiopia. And honestly, because that was the story I heard and what I learned about, that just kind of became my narrative. I'm like, okay, if we want to adopt, we are also going to adopt a daughter from Ethiopia. So I started researching and I found out how you do it. And it's worth telling you that no matter how you decide to adopt a child, it is a long freaking process. It requires more paperwork than you can even imagine. I mean, obviously you are literally bringing a human into your life. So just so much paperwork, but it also requires blood tests. It requires like doctors sign up. It is intense. And that is something you have to be aware of before you begin this process. Because if you're not aware before, the process will beat you up because it takes forever. It's super hard. It's a roller coaster of emotion. And a million times you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, this is never going to happen. Which is, by the way, something that that woman told me when I first got to talk to her. So I'm grateful that she really set me up for like, dude, this is going to be hard. But she gave us the name of her agency that she used to start an international adoption. Now, here's what I can tell you about international adoption from back in the day. This is, remember, a long time ago that I started this process. International adoption is different for every single country. So first of all, if you're listening to this in the U.S., there are some countries, a lot of countries, that don't even have adoption with the U.S. And I don't know why that is. I'm still super confused why not all countries allow international adoption, but there are lots of countries that don't. And for the countries that do, the country decides its parameters for adoption. So there are certain countries where they have really strict parameters about what religion you can be, where you can live, what you can practice, because they only want children from their country going to people who will keep them within the culture of the country that they come from. So understand that every country is different. And before you choose your country, you have to understand what the specifications are. I do my research with this woman. She gives me her information and we decide simultaneously we're going to have another baby. And I told my ex-husband, we were married at the time, obviously, I was like, if this baby is a boy, we are adopting a daughter. And he was like, okay. But I like had all of my information and I felt really strongly like however this works out, 
we're going to adopt a daughter. I go through the pregnancy. Obviously, it's Ford Hollis. He's wonderful. He comes into our world. We have our third son. And I'm like, yay, my third son is here. And obviously, that's going to kind of suck in my world for a while. But when I come out the other side of it, I'm adopting a daughter. Like, I just knew. I knew that I would have a fourth child and I knew that that would be my daughter. I am telling you this story from the perspective of someone who has given birth to children, but I also will tell you in a minute, those of you who are like, wait, I don't have kids yet. I really want to adopt, um, how that ended up kind of hurting us in the long run, but just bear with me. This is a saga. About a year, I guess, a year and a half, maybe a year after Ford was born, we start the process to adopt internationally. And we knew it would take a very long time. And you have to go through classes. Basically, how that works is you work with an agency here in the US that prepares all of the things for you to then like do the international adoption. And it is a very long, I cannot stress this enough. No matter how you adopt, it's a long process. But that one was definitely harder because you're just dealing with another country that has its own rules for how it goes through the process. When we were about a year and a half into that process, Ethiopia stopped its adoptions with the U.S. They just like halted adoptions. And... That was so hard because essentially how that adoption process worked is like once you got everything turned in, which took a very long time, you were on a list with other families. And let's say you were like 10th on the list. Nothing happened until you just like worked your way up the list and then it would finally be your turn. But you didn't know how long that would take. So when the adoption process stopped, there was this really hard decision of like, do we stop? Do we move to another country? Do we wait and hope the process will be opened up again? We chose to wait and, you know, like nine more months go by, still nothing had happened. And we had to make the decision to remove ourselves from that adoption program. Now, as a quick side note, I was so devastated when that happened because I had been for years manifesting and like walking in faith that, uh, you know, eventually we would meet our daughter. And I had just sort of seen it in my mind and this is how it would go. And I was so sad. And there wasn't a lot of information about why Ethiopia had stopped its adoption process with the U.S., I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. 
Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas? The food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. And I actually don't know what things are like between Ethiopia and the U.S. today because it's been so long. But years later, I actually got to go to Ethiopia on a trip. I was with a an organization that raises funds for Ethiopian-based Nonprofit. So it's not a US nonprofit, Ethiopian based nonprofits, but we were raising money to support them. And in that process, I got to visit orphanages. I got to understand how often that system was being abused and how the government essentially had to stop the adoption program until they could make sure that it was being done correctly, that it was being done without separating children from their parents like it was a it was a very important reason why that program stopped now a couple years before that I couldn't see that because I was just sad that all these things that I was trying to move forward for our family weren't coming to fruition but that was so helpful for me it was like really full circle for me to understand why it wasn't happening. It was the right thing 
they needed to close down that system. They needed to make sure that it was being done in the right way, that the children who were in those orphanages were actually there for the right reasons. There was a huge issue with human trafficking at that time. It was just like super important that it happened the way that it did. And I say that because I think again and again throughout the adoption process, it is very easy to lose sight of the fact that this baby, this baby, this child, this teenager, this human being is being removed from what should be the right thing for this child. The exact right thing for every child would be to come into the world to a family that is healthy, that is strong, that loves that baby, that wants to take care of that baby, that has the ability to do those things. That's the best case scenario. Adoption is a plan B. Adoption is not the right thing for what should happen to a human. What should happen to a human is that in a perfect world, we would all be born into a family that can love us and take care of us. Now, that obviously doesn't always happen. And children are born into families that for one reason or another, that family is not capable of taking care of that baby. And then adoption can be this beautiful plan B. But it's very easy as adoptive parents, when you so desperately want a child, to think that you are the right choice or that you are the solution or that you are the better option. And it's just not. My daughter has been in my arms since the day she was born. And her life is amazing. And I know exactly this all unfolded the way that it should. But that still comes with its own trauma and its own pain because she was separated from her biological family. So it's really important to keep that in mind for a lot of reasons. I'm going to get into that more, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you are the best thing. The best thing would have been for the original family of origin to be healthy and strong and capable of caring for this baby. You can be a really beautiful plan B, right? But don't romanticize adoption to the point that you can't also see the pain, the pain for that child in the future when they understand a bit better and the pain for the family that made this really hard decision or was forced into this really hard decision. That piece of international adoption, being able to understand better why my own adoption was blocked was so helpful for me because, you know, we only see like our own little narrow world view. And there are so many bigger things at play here. That's my rallying cry for perspective on adopting. And that was the close of our international adoption journey. We had the option when we pulled out of the Ethiopia program, we had the option of doing another international adoption and decided against it because at that point we'd sort of be starting all over again. And I also just had found that the back and forth with like paperwork and how long it took things to be turned around. It just, I thought, oh, well, 
you know what? Let's just do this in the U.S. Let's just do this locally because at least then maybe I'll have a better understanding of the system, which is hilarious. I looked into adopting in the U.S. and found that in L.A. County, I don't know how it is now, but back then, if you wanted to adopt in L.A. County, you had to agree to be a foster parent for at least three months. That was the rule. So you had to get training, which took months and months. You had to go through all the stuff again, the agency, the blood work, the therapy, like all the things. And we did that. We went through that process. Every Saturday, we went to classes to be foster parents. A few months after we did our classes, we got a call about a one-year-old baby girl for foster care. And we had, you know, a nursery set up in our house. We had talked to our three boys about it. Like we were all on the same page. We get a call about this baby girl and we said yes. And they brought her to our house and it was just the wildest experience. It was so, she was so precious. And we had her for, I want to say maybe a month And then we got a call from her caseworker that she had an older sister who was two. And they were like, is there any way, is there any way, is there any way you could take the older sister? And something that I understand about foster care now that I didn't understand back then because I just, again, I went in with such rose-colored glasses about what the process was going to be is that the foster care system is so broken because it is based on so much pain, so much hardship, so much trauma. Many of the families in foster care are generational foster care families. So like the little girls that we had, their mom was a foster care baby and her babies were all in foster care. And it was just this cycle that went back for generations. And I think you have this idea of what that process is going to be like. And my eyes were so opened and my heart was so softened to these girls' parents because we would have to do visitations with them. And just they were grown adults, but they were still very much children. And it just was like, oh my gosh, we don't know anything. We don't know anyone else's, what anyone else is walking through, what anyone else is going through. It was really hard. And the other piece is that there is such a need for foster parents, like such a need. And when you go through the foster parent training, they say over and over that you have to match your skills with a child's needs, like your skills, what can you do, what can you handle, how can you help with a child's needs. And it's so brutal to watch these babies, these like, they were babies. They were one and two years old. And they had lived in and out of foster care their whole lives. And this is the other thing about adoption. I'm just giving you guys like the real, real, not the rose colored glasses, like the real, real. My daughter is adopted. My nephews are adopted. I have another family. Their three kids are adopted. Adoption is a big part of our family. And 
I can tell you unequivocally, I do not care your baby's journey, your child's journey. If you have a child who is coming to you through adoption, there will be, I don't want to use the word trauma, but maybe it is trauma. There there will be psychological ramifications of the adoption process, period. I, I know this firsthand. My daughter's adoption is the dream. It's the absolute perfect scenario. If there is a perfect scenario, healthy mama, loves her kids, wasn't able to take care of another baby. We were there with her in the journey. We were there when our daughter was born. We brought, I mean, like have been there every step of the way. And without question, my daughter has pretty severe fear of abandonment. She wants to be as close as possible to everyone in the family. She wants to be within like two feet of everybody at all times. She is the only one of my kids who has this anxiety about being separated from someone. Now, maybe you could be like, well, that has nothing to do with, I don't think so. I think that if you are separated from your biological mother, that is going to affect you. It doesn't matter what the process is. It doesn't matter how healthy. It doesn't matter how beautiful of a life you give her. It doesn't matter. You have had your most basic initial relationship has been affected, and that's going to affect you. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash rach thrivemarket.com slash rach this episode is brought to you by progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly 750 dollars on average plus auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
that's just the scenario where we were with her when she was born. But when we had kids in foster care, oh, these babies, they come with so much trauma. There's so much trauma. Sometimes they're in and out of homes. I mean, I remember the two-year-old, as soon as she saw me, she held her hands out and said, mommy. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's so gutting. And like, she just, oh, I'm just like this woman. And she wants, and later I'm like, no, she has been in and out of home so many times that it's just any woman is the mommy. Right. And that, oh guys, it's so hard. It's so hard. And you have to know what you're walking into. And I go back to this idea of strengths and needs is that you, you don't have to know how you're doing it, especially if you don't have kids yet. But I would slow down and kind of ask yourself, okay, what are my capabilities? Maybe I'm not in a place where I can take on the trauma of a toddler, which is very different than a 10-year-old or a teenager who at least can verbalize what's going on in their life, like really think about how you can best show up for these babies because that's the other thing. If you're going to do foster care, it is not about you. It is not about you. It has to be about them. We had those two sisters for, oh gosh, maybe five months and then they transitioned back out. And once you, at that point, we had like been foster parents. So we were allowed to enter the adoption program in LA County. And I wrote about this in Girl, Wash Your Face, like in a lot of detail, if you want to read about it. But we were matched with twin newborn girls and they told us these babies have been born in the hospital. They have been left by their mother. They are available for adoption. They're on, you know, it's a fast track because the mother had other children who are in foster care. And, you know, it's a lot to take on twins, which we had not anticipated having two, but because we had just had two girls through foster care, we thought, okay, this is wild and crazy, but clearly God is, you know, blessing us with an overabundance. We go down to the hospital, we get these twin girls. They don't have names. We name them. We're like, this is amazing. Those were some of the hardest, most brutal weeks of my life, just literally because having twin newborns is absolutely bananas. And unfortunately for those little babies, they had been born addicted. So they were also going through the process of withdrawals and being a newborn. It was poor things. They were, it was so awful. We were getting through it, slowly surviving miracle that it was. And then I think about a month into the process, we got a call that their biological father wanted visitation which was news to us because we were told that they had been abandoned. And all of this to say, we found out what we were told by the caseworker was inaccurate information, which happens a lot. It's moving really fast. And 
actually don't even blame people who are caseworkers. I cannot imagine how freaking hard it is to be a caseworker in the foster care system. I, I literally can't imagine because all day long, they're just trying to find placement for kids all day long. They're literally like, do you have a bed? We got 20 calls a day. Like it was so, so hard to see. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be inside of it. In retrospect, we were told information about the twins that wasn't accurate. Come to find out they were not available for adoption. And we made the gutting decision that they would go back to their family, which was, again, that's not my choice to make. That's a, you know, if biological families are capable of taking care of their kids, that's incredible. And it meant that we didn't get to adopt them. That one was really, really hard because I had gone through the process of international adoption. That didn't work. We'd been foster parents. Those little girls had had to leave, and that was hard. But when we thought, I went all in, full open heart, like, these are my daughters. I named them. I walked the halls with them at night. I Like, these were my girls. And when it turned out that they weren't, I was done. I was done. At this point, we had been in the adoption process for over four years, and I was absolutely over it. I was like, every door is slamming in our face. We are being told, God is telling us, like, this is not for you. You need to just move on. And I have said this many times, but it was my ex-husband who, bless him, really fought against that. He was like, our dream to have a daughter did not go away because it got hard. And I was like, that's real. And he was like, hey, there are all of these people at work who keep telling me about an adoption attorney. Let's just talk to this attorney. He's like, I know like four people who have adopted with this attorney. We should at least have a meeting. I really didn't want to do that because I had in my head that adopting a child through private adoption was like, I thought it honestly, I thought it was like buying a baby. I thought I like was thinking of like a lifetime movie and I thought this is this is wrong. I really wanted to bring a daughter into our family who needs a home. And like I just had all of these preconceived notions about what it was. And he was like, let's at least take a meeting. This is the last avenue. We haven't approached it. Let's at least try. So I agree to go meet with this adoption attorney here in Los Angeles. We go to this meeting. It's like two hours long. He explains the entire process and he tells us, if you want to do this, you need to anticipate at least two more years. Now, at this point, y'all, we have been in it for four years. And he's like, you need to anticipate at least two more years because you already have kids. 
He said, most people who are looking for a home for their child love the idea of helping make a family. They love the idea of choosing a couple that does not have a child and helping them to become a family. So the fact that you have children, he said, this is going to be a long time. But if you want to try, like, let's do it. And we left that appointment. We go to have lunch. And I remember I'm wearing like these big sunglasses. My ex-husband and I, like we're talking at this lunch and behind these sunnies, I'm just like bawling because we're like just recounting the whole thing. And I'm like, all of these years, now he's saying it's going to be two more years. Now he's telling us that because we have sons, like it's probably going to be really hard. And I'm like, I just, I can't, I don't want to do this. Like we had our shot. The twins were our girls. Like we didn't get to keep them. Like I'm doing this whole thing. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And as I'm crying behind sunglasses, all of a sudden this guy slams his hand on our table. Not, not my partner. The guy at the table next to us slams his hand on the table, scares the crap out of me. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I have, I have to talk to you. And we're both just like super startled because we're at this really nice restaurant. It's LA. People do not talk to each other. And we are clearly having a really serious conversation. And this guy slams his hand on the table and he says, you can't give up. You can't give up. You have to keep going. You have to adopt this baby. Y'all, can you even imagine? I was like, who the hell? This is so rude. This guy's enter, And he's like, no, please listen. He said, I am adopted. I am adopted. And my parents had so many failed adoptions before they got me. And he says, if they had given up, I would not be sitting here at this restaurant right now. I would not have graduated at the top of my class. I would not have met my wife. I would not. And he's like, just over the top, like so effusive, like you have to keep going. I can't imagine how hard it is, but like my parents have talked to me about their journey and like you, and I am bawling, bawling as this guy is like, you have to keep going. We finish our lunch. We had parked like separately. So I went to my car and the way back to my car, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to God for the first time since we lost the twins because I remember feeling so low and so sad when we lost the twins. And I remember just saying like, where are you? Where God, where are you? Like I used to wear this bracelet all through the adoption process that said where my trust is without borders where my trust is without borders. It's from a song that says, you called me out upon the waters. And I remember when we lost the twins, I kept sort of yelling at God, which is fine, y'all, by the way. She can handle it. The universe can handle it. God can handle your anger. God can handle your sadness. God can handle your rage. The creator of all that is can handle you in every emotion that you have. And in my sadness, I remember arguing a lot and, and, and yelling at God. And I just kept saying, you called me out upon the water and you left me here. So it's a line from the song, you called me out upon the water. 
Like you called me out upon the water and you left me here. You left me in the storm. You left me in this water. I was walking back to my car that day after that man told us we had to keep going. It was the first time that I could hear God again. And I remember this knowing of like, I didn't leave you. I called you out upon the water and I never left you. You just couldn't hear me anymore. I thought it was so beautiful, this idea that I was yelling at God about leaving me in the water. And the name of the man who slammed his hand on our table is Noah. In the biblical tradition, if you know the stories, you will understand why the name Noah is incredibly significant to that idea. And maybe this is the first time those of you who know my family will understand where my daughter Noah got her name. It was from this angel who told us not to give up. And so on the car ride home from that lunch, I made the decision to go along with my partner's lead and join the process to try and do private adoption. I really do think this is such a great example of like, when it's the right path, it just flows. When it's the right path, it's that fast. We started the process in October. And again, remember, the lawyer told us it would take two years. We were matched with Noah's biological mother in December, and Noah was born at the end of February. It was that fast. It was so crazy how it just worked so smoothly once it was the right path. And I really understand why it took exactly as long as it did. Because if it had happened with the international adoption, if it had happened with foster care, if it had happened with the twins, if it had happened at any other point, I wouldn't have my daughter. And this little girl is a pistol. I mean, she drives me insane, makes me laugh until I pee my pants. She is my most strong-willed child. She is her own wild, beautiful creature. And I don't doubt for one second that she and I were made for each other. We are two souls who are destined to come together in this lifetime. It is so clear, I can't even properly express it. But if it happened at any point before the moment it did, I would not have my daughter. And this is what I tell to every parent, whether you are trying to get pregnant or you're going through IVF or you're going through the adoption process, your baby has a birthday. Your baby has a birthday. You just don't know what the date is yet. That's all. And the beautiful thing about adoption is that eventually it will lead to you having a child, but you have to stick with it. And it takes so freaking long. But when... I went through private adoption. I'll just tell you, you know, a few things that I think really helped that process is that 
number one, I approached it through the lens of this is the hardest decision that a woman can make or in some cases that a couple can make. And I'm going to pretend that I am just friends with this woman in life and I'm just helping her through her pregnancy and her labor and all of those things. Like I'm just helping her through that process. I really tried to remove myself from the fact that I wanted to adopt her baby because when you go through private adoption, depending on the state that you adopt from, she can change her mind at any moment. She can change her mind after the baby's born. She can change her mind in some states up to a certain amount of time. So just to not like root for her to make this hard decision. I was just like, nope, I'm here for her. And I really did try and approach it from that perspective. I mean, certainly we were excited and we were nervous, but I went into that process thinking at any moment she could change her mind. And if she changes her mind, that is what is meant to be for her and this baby. She is wonderful. She is so wonderful. And we still are in touch and I send her pictures of Noah and we connect on holidays and, you know, all those things. And I'm positive at some point they will reconnect. We flew her out for Noah's first birthday party so that she could be there for that. But I don't feel threatened by that at all. I think that's probably something I would have wondered about when I was going through the process was I honestly chose international adoption because I thought, oh my gosh, it would be so hard to navigate having an adopted child with the biological family. And if it's international adoption, then you don't have to worry about that. But honestly, I have read so much about this and have an understanding now that it doesn't matter who your child's biological parents are. It doesn't matter if they're like axe murderers. Your baby is still going to want to know where they come from, period. And especially if it's a completely different culture, Noah is half white, half black, and that's a completely different culture than us. And so obviously she's going to have questions and want to understand that and dive deeper. And so knowing her biological parents is so much better, I think, than not knowing, especially for her in the future. She decides how much information she wants to take in or interaction she wants to have. I just think it's awesome that we have that. And in the course of her life, whenever like if she's had a rash, if she's had an allergic reaction to something, if she's had a certain way, I could text her mom and be like, hey, do any of your boys have XYZ? Are they allergic to anything? Have you ever noticed this? That's been super helpful because otherwise I wouldn't have that information. So before I went through it, I definitely thought I'd be scared or nervous or maybe insecure about a biological family, but not at all. I think it's really cool that, you know, remember I told you the lawyer said it would be really hard for us to adopt because we had kids already and it actually was the opposite. With Noah's biological mom, she had three sons and just so you know, with private adoption, that's really common. In movies, it's always like a pregnant teenager who is looking for it. Very rarely is the case. What usually happens is that it is a parent 
who already has children and knows how hard it will be to raise another one. And they make this brutal decision, not because they don't love their baby, not because they don't want it, but they just know that they're not capable for whatever reason of raising that child. With Noah, it's so cool because she has three biological brothers and then her biological mom chose a family that had three older brothers as well. So the thing that the lawyer told us wouldn't work in our favor actually did. And that would be my other piece of advice for anyone who's going through private adoption is just like be honest about who you really are. With private adoption, we had to put together this like booklet about our family and it's something for prospective adoptive parents to look through. It's like pictures and stories. And we were really casual and funny and like told the truth. And I remember we talked about like our house always smells like bacon and because we, you know, we like it. We, <laughs> I just like was so real about who we were because I thought, I don't know, you don't want like a movie of the family you want like real. This is who we really are. Yeah, that was the process when it was time for Noah's biological mom to go into labor. We flew out to Nebraska, which is where Noah was born. We were there when she gave birth. I literally like held her mom's leg. And when Noah came out, I cut the umbilical cord. And I mean, her biological grandparents were there. Her, like the whole family, like it was a whole thing. That process of waiting to find out if she would be hours because you have to wait I think 48 hours before it's legal to like okay this is your baby that was so hard and yeah it's a very dramatic and super emotional process but when we found out yes like for sure this is your baby we still had to stay in Nebraska for a couple of weeks again this changes by state but they require that you stay there until you get your paperwork Finally, we got to come home. We brought her home. She met her brothers and all her family here. And yeah, it's still really hard to take care of a newborn, even when you're not healing from giving birth. But the process was as smooth as it possibly could be. The other thing that I tell you about adoption kind of on the other side of it, because so much of adoption is about building up to this place where you're just able to adopt the other side of it is something I really couldn't have understood until I was in it, which is I literally forget that she's adopted. Before she was part of our family, I would hear adoptive parents say that and I would be like, yeah, right. Like, you know the difference between your biological kids and your adopted. You really don't. I, I, it's so funny. I'll be like, she'll do something. I'm like, oh my gosh, she has my nose or like, oh, she just made. And then I'm like, wait, you're not genetically like she doesn't have your nose. You really forget. She annoys me just as much as her brothers annoy me. I love her just as much as I love her brothers. Like there really is no difference. I do see a difference in, like I told you guys, the, um, she has separation anxiety I do think there are things about her emotional development that are different because of that process. But honestly, for those of you who are like, oh, will it be different 
you know, will I feel differently about this baby than I, I do not, I can't, I can't speak to that because like I said, I've been her mama since she came into this world. And, uh, yeah, I, there is no, there's no difference in the way that I feel about her, which like, I don't feel, I don't hear a lot of people talk about that. Cause it's like, you're not even supposed to admit that people have that question, but of course they do. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of every question that people might have about this. I guess the only other one I can think of is I do have people who ask how I have talked to Noah about adoption. And I read a bunch of different things and made the decision that I never wanted it to be like some big reveal. You know, I didn't want her to be like 10 years old and be like, hey, FYI. It's just always been a part of her story. So we have books that are about adoption that we've read her at bedtime. And when she was old enough to start to understand, I would tell her the story of like, daddy and I, we got on a plane and we flew to another state and we met, I say the name of her biological mother. And I'm like, and remember you were growing in her tummy and we wanted a daughter so badly and like we were lucky enough we got to have you. And so I tell her the whole story. It's been a part of her knowing for as long as we've been telling stories at bedtime. And as she gets older, she has more questions. And anytime it kind of makes sense to pull more information in there, I do. But I just always want that to be a part of her knowledge that we're so lucky that miss the name of her biological mother chose us to be her family and we're so lucky that we got to be her family and this is what adoption means and then we're like because Noah has five cousins who are adopted which this is something someone told me in the process that I sort of couldn't believe but someone who was an adoptive mother told me if you decide to adopt it will not just change your family. It will have ripple effects in your extended family. And I remember being like, okay, because we had no adoption in our family at all. And then we adopted and our family members saw the process and my sister adopted and then Noah's dad's siblings adopt like we just saw that cousins adopted like it just kept it really does have ripple effects because it's one of those things that until you see it you kind of don't know how it goes and then once you see it work and once you see how beautiful it is and what an incredible experience it can be you understand it in a different way and I think you can see yourself inside of it through private adoption remember I told you I thought oh gosh are you like buying a baby I know that sounds so terrible but that was really what I thought no you're not Different states have different laws about how you're even able to go through that process. But within the process, we paid adoption fees. That's like legal fees. You pay attorney's fees for both yourself and the adoptive family. And then you pay like medical expenses. But there is no like money exchange in that process. You're basically just like helping to cover the costs of this baby coming into the world. That is not cheap. I mean, let, like let's not get it twisted. That is not a cheap process. We had the ability to invest in that way. Not everybody does. But just so you know how that part of it works, because I definitely would have wondered if I was in your shoes. If you're still with me 57 minutes into this podcast, I assume you're here for all of the information. 
yeah, I think that's all I can think of. I get questions about how it feels. I get questions about what the process was, which you guys got like 45 minutes of. I get questions about how much it costs, which if you were my girlfriend and we were having lunch, I would tell you, but I am not going to say on a podcast episode, do your research. I'm sure you can find out. That is my adoption process, both the good parts and the hard parts and all of it. And I hope that it gave you more information on this journey. And I think with this one, my best advice would be to just keep listening to that inner wisdom. Keep listening to your gut. Keep listening to what feels right. Pay attention to what feels like a block, to what feels hard and and understand. Like paperwork, that's not a block. Getting your blood work done because it's part of the adoption process, that's not a block. But like having an entire country close off its adoption process with your country, that's a block. So pay attention to where those doors slam in your face. That's one of my longest running prayers. God, either throw the doors wide open or slam them in my face, but make it very clear to me that this is not the path I should be walking down. But yeah, keep coming back to that voice of inner wisdom, inner knowing. Keep gut checking. Like, is this the thing we should be doing? Is this the thing I should be doing? Is this really where I'm supposed to head? Because I think you always know the answer and that intuition is never going to lead you astray. I wish you love and peace on this journey. Whatever this journey looks like for you, it can be very difficult. And I wish you peace as you walk ahead. I will be back soon with another conversation here on the show. But until then, as always, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Stock have too high a price? Buy a slice. Trade fractional shares of your favorite U.S. stocks and ETFs in any dollar amount you choose with zero commissions online. Get started at fidelity.com slash stocks by the slice. Fractional share quantities can be entered to three decimal places if the value of the order is at least one cent. Dollar-based trades can be entered to two decimal places. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from one cent to three cents per $1,000 of principal. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.